Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today, I have two very special guests on the show, Joe Owen, who is the founding chair of Stir Education, and Girish Menon, who is the chief executive of Stir Education. You may remember he was a previous guest of ours when he was the chief executive of Action Aid UK. Today, we're going to be looking at education, broadly speaking, but we're going to be looking at the work that Stir Education does, particularly in terms of improving learning outcomes through motivating all the key stakeholders in the equation. And primarily, we might be thinking about teachers, for instance, the teacher workforce. How do we make sure? that teachers are motivated to come to school and teach and give their very best so that ultimately those kids are able to have the very best learning outcomes. Now, before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, the mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. As I mentioned a minute ago, today it's such a pleasure to welcome onto the show Joe Owen, who is the founding chair of Stir Education, and Girish Menon, who is the chief executive officer of Stir Education. Welcome onto the Do One Better podcast. Great to be with you. Thank you, Alberto. I always like to start by finding out a little bit about the organization my guests are representing. So let's kick off with that. What's Stir Education all about? When we started, we started with the challenge that the United Nations laid down, which is there are 600 million kids in school, but not learning. And everyone said, well, that's because there are terrible teachers. And we said, no, no, the teachers aren't the problem. In education, the teachers are always the solution. So if you think they're the problem, then actually it's not the teachers are, are the problem, it's the teachers have a problem. And if we can solve their problem, then actually you've solved the problem of 600 million kids. And the problem, as we saw it, was that a lot of these teachers were, had, had lost their intrinsic motivation. They'd lost the love of teaching that got them into the profession. And there are all sorts of reasons why that might, might happen uh, in any system. So we thought, well, if you can reignite the, the professional's intrinsic motivation, then actually everything else will come good. But equally, if you have a demotivated workforce, demotivated officials, it doesn't matter what initiatives you put in. You can throw as much money as you want at the system and it's all going to be wasted because the teachers aren't going to make it happen. So this is the magic source. And over the last 10 years, we've been trying to discover, well, how do you help professionals reignite and rediscover their intrinsic motivation. And this is something which, if we can do it at a system level in education, 
then that is going to have immense effects, not just in education, but for professionals in every walk of life around the world. So this is arguably a world-changing initiative. And that's why I'm absolutely delighted that we've now got Girish who's going to change the world for us. And Girish, now that you've come on board as chief executive uh, last year in 2021, give us a little bit of a flavor for STIR education right now. So I know you operate in various countries, including India, Uganda. Um, what's your organization look like? Thank you, Alberto and Joe, for your kind words. Uh, it's interesting that when I joined STIR, we were still in the midst of the pandemic. We are still not out of it, but that point in time was really, really important. Uh, what STIR does is to prepare children for a very complex world, and that can happen only if we're able to drive holistic learning outcomes for children, working through teachers, working through officials that Joe mentioned. The COVID pandemic was just another layer of complexity that is laid over all the other layers previously, be it on climate change, be it about conflict or rising inequalities. So the discussions when I joined STIR was about how do we position ourselves as a critical friend and partner of the government education systems to help with the COVID recovery plans. Schools were closed, there was lockdown all over, governments were in a bit of a flux, nobody knew what to do, nobody had the answers. And that's when the STIR teams locally rose to the occasion. For example, in the state of Tamil Nadu, they said, let's talk to the teachers and find out what's really happening. And they commissioned a survey across over 30,000 teachers just to find out what was happening, what did the teachers need and what are the huge challenges. That became the evidence for the Tamil Nadu team in India to go to the Tamil Nadu government and say, hey, this is what is happening. This is what the teachers are facing. And this is what the teachers need at this point in time. How do we support them? And that's when the Tamil Nadu team came up with this program of delivering their training content through videos because technology was still limited. We work with government education systems. So our teachers are, most of the teachers are in far-flung rural areas with very limited access to technology. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because there is a lot of talk about digital and technology being the solution. But what we want to remember also is that there are some genuine issues of access to technology. So we really need to be considered and, and find out what, technology can actually reach and help teachers. So here was the evidence of what the te teachers wanted. And that's what we did in Tamil Nadu. In Delhi, for instance, because more people had access to technology, it being a, a more, more urbanized state, we used WhatsApp as a means to get to teachers and to keep them connected because people were feeling isolated. People were feeling nervous. People were feeling demotivated. So this was a way of getting teachers and officials together on virtual platforms. In Uganda, it was even more challenging because technology and access to technology was even more complicated and more difficult. There, we used community radio. So radio programs were designed to reach out to teachers, which also meant that our messages were not limited only to the districts where STIR worked, which is about 38 districts, but it, it, it had a coverage far beyond the immediate geography that we are in. So that's what 2021 was for STIR. 
it was about how do you continue to support district officials to support teachers and therefore reach to children at a time when schools are closed where everybody is looking for solutions and now as schools come back as the lockdown restrictions are reduced and removed when we look back at it there is a very important lesson on resilience of how some of these approaches helped education officials and teachers build at resilience now we know that we are still not out of the pandemic as joe mentioned there was already a fear of the learning crisis the world bank estimates that the learning crisis now impacts about 63% of students up from 53% before the pandemic so the education systems still have a huge challenge going forward so stir at this point in time is trying to position ourselves as a critical friend of the government trying to work with the government on opportunities and solutions to help these education systems and the workforce reignite their motivation rise to the challenge of saying how do we ensure that children do learn through the education system and are better prepared for an increasingly complex world very interesting very very interesting and in terms of the market so india uganda give what are your main markets where you're operating right now in india we work in three states we work in the states of delhi tamil nadu and karnataka uh, we are there in uganda we are there in about 38 districts but there are currently discussions to expand to another 46 districts in uganda we are delighted that just last month we started our program in indonesia and we should be launching our programs in three districts of east java region and we are in discussions with the ministry in ethiopia to start our program there in the uh, in the snnpr region of ethiopia so those are the four countries that we'll be working in uh, we also have some initial plans to start working in brazil but those are uh, under discussions right now excellent excellent are there many so a couple of things you mentioned the learning crisis and uh when i think about covid learning kids being out of school and particularly girls being out of school and possibly never coming back to school we don't hear so much about the workforce like what's been the impact on those teachers on those administrators on those policymakers and i'm curious from both of you has it been a demotivator the 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 pandemic or possibly has it acted as sort of like a a challenge where people are stepping up to that challenge and saying we're not going to be beaten down by this we will tackle it head on or what's the sentiment out there how motivated or demotivated are those teachers and those head teachers i think it's a very important question and is deeply concerning we have heard several anecdotal incidents in uganda of teachers are actually leaving the profession because as uh, you might be aware uganda had the world's longest lockdown of the education system and um it's it's very hard then for teachers to stay connected to a system that is shut down uh and uh, in a in a system where you cannot meet your peers where people have gone back to the villages that they have come from so many people many teachers uh, are reported to have left the profession and look for other means be it agriculture being setting up their small businesses so that is another major factor that's going to aggravate the existing current learning crisis it's about now getting the teachers back into the system and the same can be said about systems in other parts of the world so this is not unique to uganda uh, but when things are shut down it's about how do you 
how do you retain that sense of uh, a belonging to a system where which is non-functional so the the task of motivating the workforce is even more challenging um there are concerns about finances for for the education sector and we're looking at that very closely because understandably a lot of the scarce finances the public finances have gone into the health system economies have shrunk so there are real concerns about whether the real rate of investment that we need for the education system not just to maintain the current progress but keeping an eye on 2030 and actually hitting those sdg targets can be maintained now it's one thing to have teachers within the system it's another thing to make sure that teachers are able to function well in delhi for instance teachers were very very open about the huge psychological burden that they were carrying and the requirement for psychosocial support because nobody was asking them what they wanted there was increased pressure on them from parents from children from officials to deliver more in a world that they were not prepared for and the teachers simply said nobody is asking us what we need what we need is psychosocial support we need counseling we have also gone through the trauma of the pandemic and that's where our team in delhi actually organized a series of sessions around psychosocial support for teachers just to bring them back into the frame of mind to be motivated enough to deliver what they're here meant to deliver as joe said it's about finding out how teachers can rediscover the love for teaching so that children also discover the love of learning and maybe just building on that because albert you asked about you know the, the children and the girls in particular i think what we're hearing and seeing and girish may have the data on this is that you know, kids are dropping out girls in particular are dropping out so inequalities are getting greater and uh, you know once the kids have been dropped out of school for 2 years you've probably lost them forever and of course that is going to have an impact for decades to come so this is a really urgent crisis and the intrinsic motivation that we do is is not just about the teachers and officials you have to get the whole system working but you've also got to find a way of intrinsically motivating the kids to come back to school and if they if their experience of school is a negative experience you have no chance of getting them back and we were doing a a survey and study in Uganda and got a wonderful story about how kids were coming back to a school and when asked why it was because the kids who were at the school were spreading the word that their teachers had changed they'd gone from being evil ogres or whatever the kids thought they were <laughs> into actually being you know rather great teachers and so the kids were saying to the other kids you got to come back you know this this is good so the power of this intervention is that you get the whole system working and it kind of supports itself because yeah support of teachers and support of officials help you know great teachers great teachers help great kids and the kids spread the message and suddenly yeah you know, you're beginning to address some of the very deep seated uh inequalities that have actually got a lot worse mm. of course mm. of this pandemic absolutely uh, I, I, I there's another story that came from uganda just a couple of weeks ago where uh now that the kids are coming back to school uh many girls are now 
pregnant or have had babies during this time. So they had to bring in their babies who are being breastfed, much to the discomfort of some of the teachers, including the male teachers. So there was a discussion in a teacher's group in one of the learning improvement cycles that we conduct on a termly basis. And the women teachers were quite upset by the fact that some of the male counterparts were driving girls away from school because they were bringing in their infants into school. The male teachers thought that was the right thing to do because these infants would distract the environment in the classroom. So this opened up a major conversation among the teachers where the women were trying to tell their male counterparts that their actions of driving teenage girls away from school or girls bringing their infants into the classroom away from school is potentially debarring those girls from education permanently. And that's a huge loss for the girl, for the family and for the entire community. And this discussion at the end of the day completely changed the way some of the men were actually looking at the situation. At the end of it, one of the male teachers actually said, this is something that has completely transformed the way I've been looking at girls and I'll now make amends. I'm, I now better understand the consequences of my action. And it's really important for the girls to remain in the education system and me debarring that girl from coming to school for no fault of hers is not in her best interest. So what we do as part of the broader issue of learning outcomes is also trying to get people to understand some of the cultural norms and beliefs and attitudes that could potentially be a huge barrier to children learning and therefore trying to improve the environment in the school, making it far more inclusive so that we do what we can to address the inequalities that already exist within the system and the communities. Yeah. I love it. You you look at this. I, I always like how you express these uh, challenges, uh, Girish, because you, you clearly have a very strong sort of international development vantage point. And every time we, we're looking at a social ailment, you always dissect it, give me a very multifaceted overview of what's going on and what's driving what and the attitudes and the behaviors and the whole context because it's seldom the case that you address one specific little bit here and everything else clicks into place you gotta you gotta take a really holistic view joe what do you need to do in order to drive forward the systemic change that we were talking about so one thing is understanding the problem the multifaceted highly complex issue that we're dealing with another is to get that and educate the policymakers or get all the relevant stakeholders at scale to start moving in the right direction. So since you're a founding chair of STIR Education, you've been there since the, the outset, what are, what's the nuts and bolts? What, what do you need to do to get that scale and that, that huge scale momentum? So the, that, that is an 11-year answer. I, I will try and shorten it marginally. So, so look, the, the first thing is that you don't design this sort of solution because you, you cannot imagine it. You have to discover it. Okay, so where we started was with an intervention in Delhi private schools, getting teachers to promote their little micro innovations in schools. Well, now we don't serve private sc schools. We don't do micro innovations. 
Um, and we don't just do teachers because they're, they're just part of the system. So I mean, we are now completely different and we're arguably not stir, we're stir 6.0 because we've had to reinvent ourselves so many times. So the how we do it has changed dramatically, but what we're trying to achieve has not changed at all. In other words, improving educational outcomes through intrinsic uh, motivation. So that's the first insight, that, that yeah, a difficult problem is a genuinely difficult problem that people haven't solved. There's a reason people haven't solved it. And simply sitting down at a table and trying to design a solution to a complex social problem probably ain't going to get you there you've got to get out there test experiment learn and adapt very very fast okay that's the first bit the second bit i would suggest is to be outrageously ambitious um because big problems need big solutions we could have gone for a small scale sort of incremental solutions and we started small but always thinking how is this a solution which we can take to scale okay and it's not about trying to grow the organization there are lots of ngos out there whose primary mission is to grow the ngo okay that's not good a truly mission-driven organization will say we don't care if we as the organization grow or not what we care about is can the mission be achieved and if we achieve it through our own organization that's great but if we can get it, others to achieve it if we can get our partners in government to achieve it if other ngos can achieve it with us we're delighted okay so be ambitious think big but don't try and be big yourself yeah? work with other people you're the you're going to do all the experimentation, drive the insights, and then share it with yeah, everyone you can. And, and a third element is, is to be thinking at a system level. I think one of the mistakes we made at the early stage was to just focus on teachers, which at one level is absolutely right, because yeah, they, they are the key to this. And if you can reignite their intrinsic motivation, then everything works well. But their intrinsic motivation doesn't exist in a vacuum. Their intrinsic motivation, and this is one of the key discoveries we've made, is actually a function of how healthy or toxic is the system in which they operate. So you now have to get the whole system to change. So we started by saying, well, we've got to get to the head teachers. And then we realized, actually, we've got to get to the officials who sort of monitor the head teachers and change them from being administrators of head teachers to being supporters of the head teachers. And actually, the administrators loved that. And then we need to get policy makers so that they were actually understanding that as well. And finally, of course, you've got to get to the kids as well so that they feel intrinsically motivated. So you've, you've got to look at it as an entire system. And actually, once you do that, suddenly motivation becomes a lot simpler. Because if I say to you, well, how are you going to motivate 600 million children? It's like, well, you can, yeah, that's 600 million separate problems. How do I, it, you can't do it. But if you say, how do I create a system where everyone is motivated? So, well, that's different. And what we've identified is three and a half 
key legs to motivation, which is if you give people professionals autonomy, number one, autonomy and agency. Two, if you help them develop real mastery, mastery of their job today and helping them grow the skills for the future as well. And third, reignite their sense of purpose, rediscover that sense of purpose. And you do all of that in a context of supportive relationships. Supportive relationships, you know, officials, head teachers to teachers, etc., and, and across the peers, vertically and horizontally. Then you've got the conditions in which the teacher's natural intrinsic motivation will be reignited. And at a system level, those are levers you can push and pull. Yeah, you can do things about autonomy. You can do things about uh, uh, mastery. You can do things about supportive relationships. You can't do things about saying, be charismatic, motivational, and inspirational, right? So we've converted this whole motivation discussion into something that management and systems can actually do. And we've discussed it, discovered it in the education world. I'd suggest that that's an insight that can be used in every organization in any line of, of, of work. So um, Girish and the team are doing absolutely leading edge work on this. And I think you know, we, we can all learn from it. I'm fascinating. You're, you're dedicating your attention to education as opposed to some other organization that doesn't have much bearing on the future well-being of our society. Now, I know you you guys mentioned you're not about uh, seeking scale for the sake of it, but I know your impact and the number of, of individuals you've reached is huge. Give us a little bit of a flavor for what sort of numbers we're looking at here, Girish. So we have, since 2012, reached out to 6 million children uh, through 200,000 teachers in 109 districts of two countries, India and Uganda. But we have an ambition of reaching to 25 million children by the year 2025, uh, for which we have got ambitious programs for scaling further to at least two more states within India. I refer to uh, massive scaling that we are currently part of in Uganda in additional 46 districts and also the new programs that we see taking off in Indonesia, Ethiopia, and potentially Brazil. So yeah, 25 million children by 2025 in the grand scheme of things may not sound very large. As Joe mentioned, it's about 600 million children, but we feel that these numbers and, and uh, the, the approaches that can work for 25 million children could set a template for what can be achieved across education systems in different parts of the world. Sounds very ambitious. Sounds very good. But, but getting to 25 million, I mean, it's not getting to 25 million for the sake of 25 million. In my mind, all that does is it accelerates our learning. Because when you're dealing with just you know, one program in one state, you've got minimal learning at a system level. You've got one, you're learning with one system. But once you're up to sort of 30, 40 systems, you've essentially got 30 or 40 different learning points. And then you can really, really deepen your knowledge, you know, improve your program, and then you've set the stage for going to the 600 million with something that you just know is really industrially strong, bulletproof, and works. So yeah, the, the scale is not scale for the sake of scale, it's scale for learning, getting even better, 
and setting the groundwork for getting to 600 million. So it'll have taken us 15 years to get there, it'll probably take another five years to really get to the springboard for 600 million. Yeah. Now, I am a big fan of your work, both of you, and of STIR Education. And as some of the listeners might know, I sit on the Global Council of STIR Education. So let's talk a little bit about what sort of partners you might uh, be looking for who could help that journey become a, uh, a more certain journey, a more robust journey in the years to come. So we broadly have three types of partners, Alberto. Uh, one is the government partners, because all our work is with the government. And as Joe mentioned, it's about sustainability and scale. The second, uh, what we refer to as a philanthropic or a donor partners, they've been absolutely critical to our journey. You can imagine 10 years ago, this was just a seed of an idea. So they have been a very integral part of this journey because the work that we do, it's about understanding and buying into this philosophy of behavior change, interesting motivation, and therefore a system-wide transformation. It's a very, it can be quite complex to explain. Had it not been for the donor partners who believed in us and who have stayed on this journey, it would have been very, very hard to get to the 6 million children that we talked about. So that, that, that community has been absolutely critical. And the third one is what I broadly refer to as peer organizations. So they're academic organizations, research organizations, other education organizations for building that body of learning that is so important to contribute to the system. It's about getting the right kind of evidence of what works and how does it work so that we are able to create those global goods that can be offered to education systems around the world. Hmm. In terms of the sort of funding that you might be seeking, and by that I don't mean how much, but I mean to fund what, is there a drive to seek funding to grow into new markets or new countries? Is it about growing deeper into specific countries or perhaps new states in India, for instance? Or Absolutely. So there are, there are a whole range of options out there. Um, in the geographies that we currently are, we need resources to be able to reach a point of sustainability where the education system can sustain it over a period of time. So when we're talking of Uganda, if you're talking of the new 46 districts, we need to work with them for a period of anywhere between five to six years to be able to get them to a stage where the education system owns it and is able to run with it. So that's part of the deepening. The same thing could be said for new states in India, where we're talking of expansion. Uh, we have had some really interesting conversations with two or three states, and we are waiting for the resources to come through so that we are able to build on the partnership discussions that have already been initiated. So that's one set of uh, situation. The second is where we're talking of new countries. We're talking of Indonesia. We're talking Ethiopia. We're talking of Brazil. So we've had a, a little bit of those resources already committed, but to be able to go to scale with a confidence that we will have funding for a reasonable period of time for three to five years, it'd be great if we have some of that support coming through. We're talking of some interesting initiatives within the core of our work. So for, in, uh, for, for instance, uh, we talked about the deepening inequalities and we're really keen to understand what that means and how can we work on addressing some of those inequalities, be they due to gender issues or issues of access in terms of technology, et cetera. Now that requires us to put in more effort, more thought, more resources into it. 
we also recognize the uh, the insights that we have, the learning that we have is something that can be positioned as a global good and offered as learning. So it could be a way to influence public policy. That's a new stream of work that will require us to do a lot more research, a lot more advocacy, uh, a lot more uh, uh, capacity to develop the right communications material to be able to reach out to the policymakers, be it governmental or non-governmental. Uh, that's a new area of work for us, which for which, again, we are seeking resources. And finally, we are looking at a social enterprise model because we realize that we, we, we can't be in very many places uh, because that would diffuse capacities. Yet, there can be creative ways in which we can offer advisory support to other governments and other large philanthropic foundations who are very keen on education. So we're creating a social enterprise arm for ourselves, which currently we refer to as a regional hub. And we are seeking investments that can help us set it up in the right way and amplify the scope of what we are doing without us expanding exponentially across different geographies. I'm with you. I'm with you. So well, if I can just build on that from an investment point of view, what we do becomes a very, very highly leveraged investment because we're not trying to do it all ourselves. Governments themselves are you know, taking on a huge amount of the, the, the cost of delivering the model so that is you know that that's really helpful financially but it's also very helpful in terms of building the government's commitment to uh, uh, uh the model as well so yeah this is a really highly leveraged intervention um it's one that also amplifies people's investment in foundational learning so if a funder is putting a lot of money into, say, literacy or numeracy, that's fine. That's good. We applaud that. But the danger is that a lot of that money is wasted. And they don't always know why it's wasted. You know, why, why is it not really working? Why is it not sticking? Well, we can tell you that one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons is that if you're throwing money onto the stony ground, onto a, a system where officials and teachers just aren't motivated, just aren't engaged. It does not matter how good your intervention is. It's going to fail. On the other hand, yeah, if you invest in the literacy and numeracy and then put some money into you know, getting the systems so that everyone's intrinsically motivated, suddenly yeah, that great intervention that you're investing in is going to start flying and you're going to see great results. So, yeah. We, we offer a kind of double double uh, amplification of funders' investment. One by getting the government to yeah, pick up a lot of the burden, which is great financially and in terms of commitment. And secondly, by uh, essentially fertilising the ground uh, for that investment to land positively and grow and flourish. Gotcha. I hope. Um... I hope people listening to this, no matter where they are, if they're interested in improving the education outcomes in the neck of the woods, wherever they might live on this planet, if they're interested in leveraging motivation to get the whole thing working a little bit better, that they'll reach out to you guys and hopefully be able to tap on your wisdom to uh, to help that happen. 
key takeaway from each one of you? What's that key thing you love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? Key, key takeaway, if, if you really want to make a difference to educational outcomes, inequality, which has become harder than ever post-pandemic, then you've got to make sure you invest and get the conditions right for that investment and intrinsic motivation. You know, without intrinsic motivation, you've got nothing. So you know, get that right, build the intrinsic motivation, and, and your intervention can then really fly and your investment will really flourish. Great. For me, um, I'll just go back to Maya Angelou's quote, which is my all-time favorite, that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but we, people will not forget how you make them feel. And that's what we're trying to do through this intrinsic motivation. We want children not to forget how the teachers made them feel. And that feeling is very important for the children to really launch themselves into this journey of learning, be engaged, be curious. But equally, for the officials to remember that it's important for the teachers to feel respected and valued within the system for them to be motivated and therefore deliver what they need to do. So always, always, you know, believe in that feeling so that you tap into the inner motivation, the intrinsic motivation of people to do their best. Absolutely spot on. That's exactly right. I love that quotation and it's exactly right. I mean, how did somebody make you feel out of that? That that just speaks the world. So Joe, Girish, so nice to see both of you again. And thank you so much for making the time to join me and join us on the Do One Better podcast today. Share your insight, your passion, and uh, and hopefully on to bigger and better as we go through the years and, uh, and try to strive for those SDG 2030 targets. So thank you both very, very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alberto. Pleasure talking to you as always. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Joe Owen, founding chair of STIR Education, and Girish Menon, chief executive officer of STIR Education. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. Tell your friends, family, and colleagues about the show. It always makes a big difference. And by all means, do leave us a rating and a review. It makes a big difference as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.